You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Back for another week. My name is Matt Walsh and I'm joined as always by Neil Seawang. How are you going, Neil? Very well, mate. Yourself? It's good to be back. Yeah, not, not too bad. You'd be pretty happy as a D supporter. The ever ever roller coastery life that you must be living uh, up there in Ballarat at the moment, watching your team play? Yeah, the last couple of weeks have been better. Um, as much as the wins, the way the Melbourne have played is, is a lot more akin to the 2018 style. Um, so, yeah, then again, um, beating Hawthorne is, is no, no cause for massive celebrations these days. So we'll talk more about the Hawks later. We certainly will. Uh, Jake Michaels, your Blues, well, I mean, what can you really say about them? Uh, were you watching that on Sunday? And what was your reaction to Robbie Gray's game winner? You mean our Blues? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I think I've sort of said before that I'm a big fan of Robbie Gray. So it, it pains me to say this, but for his legacy, and I, and I think we'll touch on that a little bit later, I kind of wanted him to kick it because he's such a good player. I kind of felt like he was going to kick it anyway, but... It still hurts. <laughs> There's one player on that side you don't want the ball to, whose hands you don't want the ball to be in the hands of. It's Robbie Gray with a kick after the siren, and uh, he flushed it and it was just beautiful. Christian Jolly, you must have been watching that as well uh, in the home office for Champion Data. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I was watching that one, and yeah, he'd missed one I think five or ten minutes earlier, so I was the same. So he took that mark, no matter where he was, you know, even if he was on the other side of the fence. I just looked at him and went, "He's going to kick this one. He's not going to miss two in a row." So. <laughs> Uh, and he gave off that that terrible hand pass about two two minutes earlier when he could have kicked the the winner as well. You just you know three chances he's going to take one of them that's for sure. Uh, well, crowds are back, booing is back, umpire controversy is back. Uh, some sense of normalcy has returned to season twenty twenty. Uh, as you said, Neil, we've got plenty to discuss as always. But before we get into the real stuff, perhaps something that uh, caught your attention from the week of footy that we might not be able to touch too much on, Neil. Yeah, for me, I mean, we, we touched on earlier that I was um, intently watching the Melbourne game and there's been a lot of media um, adulation for Christian Petraka, but another high draft pick caught my eye, Sam Wiedemann. Um, the fact that he's um, been selected, I don't know what he was doing wrong in the first you know, five or six rounds, but he, he probably played the best game I've seen him play and that includes the 2018 uh, elimination final against Geelong when he was almost best on ground. I thought he, the way he hit the packs and the way that he presented... Um, was super impressive and it's kind of flown under the radar with, with everyone salivating over Richard Petraka. So um, he'll probably be up against Harris Andrews at the Lions this week and it'll be interesting to see if he can uh, really compete hard against him. It just goes to show that these um, bigger players do take just a bit more time and, and maybe you need to be a bit more patient with them. Uh, Jake, yeah. anything from the weekend that we might not be able to touch on that you thought was quite interesting from the week of footy? Well, the obvious thing which we just spoke about was uh, Robbie Gray's kick after the siren. But the thing that really caught my eye from that was um, the photograph taken by Bradley Canaris of Getty Images of Gray turning around and just basically screaming. Camera catches him right on the angle. It is an awesome photo if you haven't seen it. You probably have. Um, I reckon that's going to be an iconic Port Adelaide photo that will will. We'll see that for, for decades and decades. I tend to agree. You could sort of see him in the background of the shot when Robbie was lining up because the camera was on the broadcast side and, and he was on the opposite side. So he was right there. Um, and as soon as he kicked that goal and I saw the, 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 the barrel of the lens sort of pointed at him, I thought, geez, I've got to keep an eye out for this photo. And, and you're right, uh, he did it justice and it was absolutely magnificent. The only thing that's a bit of a shame is it's in that awful road jumper and it's not in that, that home colour jumper <laughs> that you might, might like your iconic team photos to be in. 
Uh, Christian, prison bars. <laughs> it should have been in the prison bars. Uh, Christian, anything from the weekend that uh, you thought was interesting? Yeah, probably, again, maybe a bit too much focus on this one game. Mine was from the same game, 50 seconds, maybe a minute earlier than what we're just talking about. So probably the uh, if you look at ranking points, champion data ranking points, the one act that you can get the most uh, ranking points for is a contested mark from an opposition kick. If you count a goal as being two acts, and you get points for the kick and then the goal. Uh, but just taking a, a contestant up from your opposition kick. So Tom Jonas wasn't Leo Barry-like, but on the wing to set up that scoring chain for Port Adelaide. Uh, again, that, the ball was kicked long by Givens to the pack. And sort of, it was a sort of a two or three grab mark. So again, it wasn't clean. But again, as soon as he took it, he just thought, this is something they never say, but that was a captain's opposition mark, if you like, or innocent mark. And that set up the play. And again, you can always break down match-winning plays. But yeah, that was the one that started off. That's not getting enough credit for... Um, just how difficult it really is to take those marks. And yeah, in the last 40 seconds, and he, and he got the ball moving quickly and set up the scoring chain. I think he's really coming into his own as a, as a leader at Port. Um, and he's, he's doing the number one justice for sure. Um, before we do get into the agenda, we probably should also um, mention our heartfelt condolences to the family of Shane Tuck, who tragically passed away. Only 38 years of age, played 170 odd games uh, for the Tigers. Um, just a very sad situation. And if you do need to talk to someone at any time, you can contact Lifeline or Beyond Blue. There's help out there uh, if you need it. Um, gents, it's going to be one of the talking points this week because it has been now for two weeks. Um, but Hawthorne are in a bit of a situation. We've had the president, you know, when the president comes out and has to email members that uh, everything's fine, steady the ship, you know, that something is actually happening. And the 43-point loss to Melbourne, Neil, uh, geez, it wasn't good. They're arguably the dullest team to watch in the league. Uh, is there a reason for this or, or are they just not good enough? I mean, where can we sort of start to pinpoint what's going wrong with Hawthorne? They're certain, I don't think you can say they're arguably the most dull team to watch. They really are. They, they can't move the ball quickly, whether that's by design or um, just the cattle on the park. Um, one thing that um, I think gets overlooked, and Jake, I think, is, has always been um, really strong on Coaches get all the glory or all the blame, it seems, but it's a whole club performance, what's happening at Hawthorne. And the fact that they've topped up through free agents and um, they've avoided the, the top end of the draft for almost a decade, that's obviously a club decision. It's not just Clarko you know, saying, I'm going to select this player and I'm going to select that player and try and trade for them. So it's obviously a whole club decision to try and you know, play finals every year and possibly push for another couple of flags. So at the moment... They're just bereft of any young talent. Um, they've, if I had to choose any list in the competition that I'd least like at the moment, it would be Hawthorne and Daylight, I'd imagine. Uh, maybe Adelaide might be in that conversation, but they just don't have any young talent on the park and their older, mature players are just horrifically out of form. So um, it's, it's, it's a long road back for, for Hawthorne at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, Christian, maybe you can sort of take a, a statistical look at it for us, but... Who's sort of hasn't been able to take the next step for the Hawks and, and who's maybe declined and gone backwards? I mean, we can kind of see that it's this combination of these, these sort of factors on the field that you can kind of see that they're just not playing good footy at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll start with what they have that we haven't seen. So, I mean, they've had 18 players that haven't played a game yet this season. Majority of those are under 21 or 21 and under. So, you know, some of the names I can sort of reel off. Matthew Walker, Jackson Ross, uh, Dylan Moore, Finn McGuinness, Kaczynski, uh, Giaf, Daniel Howe. Daniel Howe's a little bit older. Damon Greaves. So, not huge names. Not not a lot of early draft picks. I know Finn McGuinness was taken uh, first round or second round at the last draft. So, 
the, the, the youngsters are there. I agree. We haven't seen them because the last two or three weeks and pretty much consistently across the year, they've been the second oldest team that's sort of gone out and they're, they're selected 22 each week is the second oldest or second most experienced out there. That's so, concerning. Yeah, again, that they're, you know, but there is, it, it makes you think that they've, they've got the cattle with Clarkson is ready to sort of, you know, make, make the big changes and try to get more players into the team. There's almost half a team there to choose from. So, again, not, not exactly certain on the industry, industry, injury status on all of these players. Uh, but, yeah, I know their, their injury list wasn't huge with a lot of these youngsters. So, um, I mean, in terms of players that hadn't stepped up, and, again, I sort of looked at Hawthorne. The first three or four rounds, they weren't too, too bad. I mean, they did beat Richmond uh, and Brisbane, uh, two finals from last year, two top four teams from last year. It's the last three weeks where it's really, you know, they've won one quarter across the last three weeks. And, you know, been one of them, as you said, one of the uh, poorer teams at moving the ball and just getting their hands on the footy in general. So, to me, in that time, I mean, we've seen Chad Wingard, I sort of mentioned two or three weeks ago, had really sort of he'd stepped up and I said, you know, it could be a chance to win the Brownlow. He, he hasn't been great the last three weeks and his kick ratings really dropped away. He was one of the best kicks in the AFL uh, for the first uh, four weeks and, yeah, dropped away the last three weeks. But again, it's probably blokes like it is. It's it's the top end. Tom Mitchell, Jaeger, Amira. They're only rated as average midfielders this year on player rating points. Uh, you know, so they're not in the above average or elite bracket the way they're going at the moment. James Sicily is still Hawthorne's best player, uh, but he's only above average for a general defender now. So some of his numbers are dropped. Uh, but again, they were always they, those same names have always been at the top of Hawthorne's list. So it's not like the middles dropped away or the bottoms dropped away. And you're right, there's not a lot of names to say that they've stepped up um, and helped those older players out. But it's just the top the top levels just sort of evening out a little bit at the moment. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you talk about how that they're putting out consistently one of the older lists uh, in the AFL. Jake, you've been critical of Clarko. And I know, Neil, you said it's a, it's a whole club approach. But surely the, the, the 22 that you choose to put out on the park has more to do with the coach than sort of any other part of the... Um, part of the organization jake you've been um you know not critical of clarko but you've been you've always had a, been a little bit skeptical of, of how much influence he does have what do you think of his performances so far this year and is he the man to lead them forward oh that's right i mean it's not that it's that i'm critical of, of alistair clarkson it's just that i'm critical of the people that hold him in such you know high high regard obviously you know you got to look at what he's done he's done a great job over the, his time there but Man, look at the players that he had. It's very different when you don't have the players. And as you can see now, all of those players are either gone that were winning premierships or they're aged. And look at someone like Sean Burgoyne. Man, if I have to hear another commentator, commentator say, oh, that's the first time I've seen Sean Burgoyne miss kick a ball. It's like he's doing it very regularly now. He's not the player he once was. And this is the problem now with Hawthorne is that all those players, they're no longer the same ones. And as you guys have touched on, the younger players uh, just aren't coming through. And the one that's really made, I've been disappointed with is James Warple, who I really thought was going to have a strong year this year. And to be to be um, honest, I thought he was going to be in Brownlow consideration, such as his, was his dominance last year. Um, he's taken a massive step backwards. When you look at his numbers, again, we're playing shortened games, but if you look at his numbers, he's fallen away dramatically. Um, so... I don't think you can criticise Alistair Clarkson just as I don't think you can can give him all the credit when Hawthorne are winning premierships. It's just the nature. Of the, it all comes down to the talent you have. If you don't have the talent, I don't care who, what, who you've got as your coach. You're not winning a premiership. And at the same time, if you've got, if you've got truckloads of talent, 
um, you know, you, you're not going to need the, the talent will win. Talent talent's what wins your premiership. It doesn't come down to a coach, in my opinion, and others will disagree with that. But I think it's pretty true over over history, and not just in AFL. I think it happens in all sport. Uh, Neil, one for you. If they go to the draft, which they haven't done, and, and they do try to top up with some higher end draft picks, firstly, is that a concession of a rebuild? And then, secondly, do you think Clarkson has the patience, the temperament, the skill to rebuild a club uh, and, and, and play a list that is so inexperienced, which he obviously doesn't want to do in 2020? I think it would have to be a concession. And I think it would be plainly obvious that, that they don't want to tread water down in the bottom six. They want to, you know, strip it back and make sure that they get the high talent. But I think Clarkson, yes, he's getting a bit, you know, middle-aged in terms of coach years, but he's, he's, he's rebuilt a club already when he first got to Hawthorne. They were... Absolutely hopeless. I think they got a priority pick. They landed the first couple of drafts that he was there with. So he obviously doesn't play a part in the drafting per se. But he has he took over that club as a coach when they were you know at a really low ebb. So he's shown that he can do it. Can he do it in his sort of middle to latter years as a coach? Only he can answer that. But it's not like he he's he's, he's taken over a, a great great list and only ever survived from there. Let's be honest though. Like the player the. The, the players that were on that list or came in very, very near the time that Clarkson took over at Hawthorne. I mean, there's some, there's some Hawthorne all-time great players there, five or six Definitely. players that will go down in Hawthorne's history. I mean, you're not necessarily going to get another five or six guys like that come in in the space of two or three years. So, no, but, it, but it does show that what you can get from the draft if you choose to go to the yeah. draft, which they haven't done. Yeah. They've got to do it again. Mm. I've got uh, a question well, for Christian off the top of my head, sorry, and this might be... Um, putting you under the bus, Christian, if we haven't prepared for it. But is their game style changed this year compared to the last three or four years? Uh, so, again, I've again looked at it and decided to go with round five to seven as the last three weeks as more of a highlight, so to sort of show the difference. So, round one to four and five to seven, they've, they've always struggled. I mean, they've never been big contested ball winners. Even when they won their three-peak premiership, they were able to do it on the outside. Um, but all year, they just haven't been able to get their hands on the ball. So... Again, looking at the first four weeks, they were 17th and 15th for contested and then uncontested possession differential. That's dropped to 18th and 16th in the last four weeks. But in the first four weeks, what they were doing is when they got the ball, they were kicking forward uh, 91% of the time, which was the third most, uh, the second most in general play, kicking long, the eighth most. So a bit of attackingness into, you know, in their kicking signature. Uh, in the last three weeks, around so five to seven, as I said, they can't get their hands on the ball. And when they have had the ball, they've gone forward 80% of the time with their kicks, which is the lowest of any team, gone sideways, backwards, uh, gone long only 41% of the time. So the third fewest of any team. Um, they've actually, you know, used the corridor the second most in that time. So it's almost like they're playing so safe to try to find the best option in the best part of the ground, but it's just taking them so long to do that. And I think that's the problem is it's been exasperated by they, they don't necessarily want to control the contest. They don't need to be the first team with the footy. Mm. They don't mind giving up a little bit of the football here and there. They'll win it back off you and trust that their ball movement will, you know, kick them the score. At the moment, they're not winning the footy. Their ball movement's not, you know, not great. They're struggling to stop opposition ball movement. And as I said, it's, the, it's really the last three weeks for me where they've won just one quarter in that time. Uh, we saw GWS, we spoke about their inside 50, you know, they... they Hawthorne kept them to 26 inside 50s. That's a great number. That's a number you want to sort of aim for defensively. But to concede a score 70% of the time, mm. um, you know, they just struggle to sort of defend in this time as well. So 
few changes, but as I said, probably more the last three weeks has really been exasperated. To me, it just sounds like they've lost confidence, like that, that kicking forward number. Um, and the way that teams are sort of folding back now, just to me, it just screams they've lost confidence or they don't trust their kicks going forward. Um, and, you know, once that sort of materialises in their head, and they shank a couple and then they shank a couple more or, or whatever. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm overanalyzing it. But, um, yeah, Hawthorne is one a team to keep an eye on for the rest of 2020, that's for sure. Uh, something a bit more upbeat, and we mentioned it off the top because it was a hell of a moment, but Robbie Gray's goal after Siren, probably one of the greatest ever considering where he kicked it from, Jake. It was just, he was hard up against the boundary right next to the photographers, as, as you mentioned. Where does it sit all time as uh, the greatest goal after the siren? Does it knock Blighty well, off the perch? Well, recency bias is always going to be, you know, <laughs> it is real, um, but there's no denying how good it was. In, in terms of an actual kick, I mean, we've got to, we've got to say, you know, are we assessing the, the play that leads up to the goal? Are we assessing the importance of it? Like, it wasn't a final. Um, but in terms of the kick, I mean, you, you don't really get a better goal than that. Like, after the siren or, every, you know, before the siren, that's a, that's a terrific kick. Um, and he handled it really well. I think it's just, I think it's right up there with ones I've seen, if not the best. I mean, the Luke Shuey one was in a final. Um, that was good. And that was really good. Uh, there was a freaky paid under weird circumstances, though, you could argue. So, yeah, ex- extra time in a final, too. So, yeah. Unbelievable. Isn't it? So, you don't get much better than that. I mean, a grand final would be. Um, yeah, we don't talk about Dom, 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 Dom Sheen, Sheen wasn't yeah. it after, this, after the, the siren goal, but, you know, that was, I think that was about a minute and a half to go. So, that was. You can throw that in the same sort of category, I guess. But, uh, Rob, Robbie Grace. Robbie Gray's was pretty good. I don't, I, I was, uh, I don't think there'll be too many better, better after the siren goals kicked than, kicked than that one. Neil, you would have uh, vividly remember Malcolm Blight's kick after the siren. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where do you, where do you have it in terms of the, the list of the all-time greats and oh, then maybe the modern greats? Yeah, Blighty's. You can't beat Blighty's. I mean, they didn't have the 50 meter um, arc on the field, so it could have been anywhere from. 65 to 80 metres out. I mean, it's probably grown 10 metres since, since he did it. Um, but it did sail through post high, which is just incredible. So I think that's, that's the outlier. And then I think Robbie Gray is probably sitting... If you ignore the context, um, I think there's a couple... You know, there's been Luke Shuey's in a final. Um, a couple which I've really enjoyed have been after taking big hangers. So Nick Nat Newey a couple of years ago um, and Justin Longmuir, I think probably about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a taking record. a huge hanger, you know, living every boy and girl's dream of who loves footy, taking a huge hanger and a kicking goal after the siren is, you know, nothing can, can really beat that. But if you're just looking pure, pure difficulty of the kick, yeah, Gray's is, is probably just about the best I've seen. Fair enough. I mean, uh, ones that stand out to me, I mean, Ash McGrath in his 200th game, miracle on grass. Uh, the Lions came back from seven goals down with, you know, a quarter to go against the Cats who were, who were red hot because, you know, that was maybe the end of their sort of period of dominance, but um, that sort of went through from 50, and, and that was just a, a wonderful moment for a team that had been struggling. Uh, Carmichael Hunt, Gold Coast Suns against the Tigers. Yes. That was uh, that's a, that's one of the, the greats. Chris Tarrant, his um, his one against Adelaide in 2003, and I remember that one being really close because it went over the post, and the crowd didn't know whether it was a goal or a point until the umpire walked back to the middle on the line, signalled a goal, and sort of all hell broke loose. Um, Zach Tui. Neil, you'd know from a couple of years ago oh, against the yeah. D. Um, 
geez, there have been some really good ones. Gary Rowan against uh, Essendon when the Swans came out. from the goal squares. Three goals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but the, the <laughs> you could have kicked that. The context of it being that, that Essendon well, squandered a three goal, three goal in lead about in two about minutes, two minutes. So, I mean, there are some unbelievable stories that we could sort of go through. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the blighty one from going through post-height from Squillians out uh, is, is right up there. Christian, do you have a favourite? Uh, again, mine's context. So Tom Hawkins um, against uh, Hawthorne. I can't remember. I think it was... 2012, maybe? Well, was it? Yeah. And again, that was... 2012. I said in the pre-pod, that was almost 10 matches in a row coming down to one kick because those two had just had unbelievably close games for six or seven games in a row. Um, and yeah, Tom Hawkins from the centre square one night just just sort of capped off that sort of run of exciting games between those two teams. That camera angle from directly behind Hawkins where you just see the ball go straight towards God, but you can't tell if it's going to make the distance or not. And then you see Hawkins start to celebrate. Yeah, that's... When we talk about the, the Robbie Gray shot being iconic, that one, we still see that, so... The, um, yeah. the call by Dennis Cometti, too, of that one, the cat is still on the back, was, uh, was pretty iconic as well. I mean, there have been a few good calls. We could probably have a whole different podcast on the best commentary moments of, <laughs> of, of, of footy uh, over the last few years. I don't years. know why I thought Dave... I thought David Mundy had kicked about three goals after the siren, but he's only kicked one. I thought he, I thought he no. did it twice to... He might have a missed few seconds one. left against Collingwood. I reckon he's kicked it behind, maybe to win a game. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I felt like he did it to Richmond. Was it Richmond that he? Yeah, a couple of times. But, well, yeah, um, yeah, twice. Thank yeah. Richmond, um, and they they scored two goals in about two minutes. That's centre clearance um, where he sort of ended up on it on on the end of it, and then the siren went. Yeah, um, behind to win. Jimmy Bartel kicked it behind to win. Michael Walters did one last year. Against uh, Lockett's famous one in a final against Essendon. Correct. I mean, there have been some... There's a great Wikipedia page, Kicks After the Siren in Australian Rules Football. It's got everything you really want there. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Mitch McGovern, the goal to draw, uh, Adelaide against Collingwood in 2017. That was a ripper mark. Um, yeah, that was a good mark too. You talk about um, marks and then going back and finishing your, finishing your work. That's one of the all-time greats. Uh, although it didn't end up in a, in a four points for, for either side that day. Uh, anything else before we move on? I mean, nothing's, Lloyd nothing's more exciting. Oh yeah, Sam Lloyd was Lloyd, underrated, that, wasn't it? That was a good one from fifty out, bit of an angle against yep. the Swans. That was a that was a ripper. I remember. I reckon I was uh, in my home and I could feel the ground shaking from how the MCG reacted <laughs> to that. We we talk about the um, the miracle on grass, how they moved the ball really quickly. The ti- it probably wasn't as quick, but the Tigers did move that the ball very quickly to get it up to Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know. Pretty good kick, forty-five on an angle, on a on a pretty tight, not tight angle, but a but a forty-five angle, forty-five out. You know, you you wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we saw Isaac Smith miss one after the siren against the Cats a few yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. That was an easier shot. So, yeah, just goes to show they can sort of you know. I wonder. I wonder how, what a player would be feeling like you. There's only a handful of players that actually experience having a kick to win a game after a siren, like, after the siren's gone. And there'd be yeah. players who'd hate it. I reckon most yeah. players would kind of hate it secretly. <laughs> they wouldn't want it. Like Someone like a Toby Green would just love taking that shot, I reckon. But I mean, there's a lot of players that wouldn't want to take it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, we've uh, been at the highs. Let's get back down to the lows. Last night I was watching uh, Monday Night Football, which I quite enjoy uh, as an addition to the fixture, and hopefully we can sort of see a bit more of that uh, as we as the fixture gets announced for the next uh, few rounds. But holding the ball, Neil, I mean, I don't even know what the words mean anymore because 
you can be holding the ball, but if you're disposing of it correctly, or if you're disposing of it not correctly, you can get paid. You can not get paid. You can be paid in the back. They let the ball go. They call the ball up. I mean, three weeks ago, we had a change of interpretation of this rule, and no one seems to know what's going on. I mean, what's, what's the deal? Yeah, I don't think you're alone in being confused about this. I mean, I think the AFL would have to be pretty much the only ball sport in the world where there's interpretation instead of black and white rules um, for something so important. Um, you know, it seems like every second tackle, you know, you're watching and the whistle's blown and you've got no idea which way it's going to go. And that's incredibly frustrating as a fan. Um, yeah, and to, to change the interpretation, you know, partway through a season, which they felt did three weeks ago after old mate Clarko's comments, um, it, just insane that they can do that, you know, partway through the season. How hard is it for umpires and, and for, for players to adjust to that? It's, 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 I couldn't believe they did it. And now everyone's twice as confused as ever. I feel terrible for the umpires who have to implement uh, rules that are getting changed, you know, at the drop of a hat, really. Like, from one round to another, halfway through the week, they said, we're changing the interpretation. I mean, I, f- I really, truly feel for them because they're not going out there to do a, a bad job or to miss obvious ones or to call ones that aren't there. But uh, it just seems like the stress of trying to keep up with the latest from AFL House is getting to them. I mean, Christian, have you got any stats on where holding the ball has come from and where it's at now and, and what we're looking at in terms of that, that rule? Yeah, again, so just, I mean, we'll just, just stick to this year because that's exactly what we're talking about, the change within a season. So, I mean, you can use a flat how many holding the ball calls were there. So there was 48 in round one, up to 62, 68 and 62 the next three rounds. So they stayed pretty constant. Uh, you're right, Neil. Clarko makes his comments. 91 when they changed the interpretation. So we saw an extra 30 within one week, uh, down to 84 and at 90 on the weekend. So the, the biggest number there is 91 in round five. That was the most holding the balls. But to me, it's, it's breaking it down even further and looking at the tackles that are applied per game compared to how many times holding the balls called. So again, at Champion Data, we only call a tackle is only when you effectively uh, stop plump someone from disposing the ball or affect their disposal. So we have physical pressure acts where you've tackled someone but they've given off a clean handball and it's play on. You'll get an act for that, but not a tackle. So these are actual, you know, effective defensive acts. Uh, so in round one, 17.4 tackles uh, for every holding the ball. So basically, once every 17 tackles, you get paid holding the ball. Down to 15, uh, 14.6 in round two. Down to 11.7 in round three, up to 15.4 in round four. So a little bit of variance there. Uh, and then it shot right down. So only 9.8 tackles for every holding the ball in round five, the first week of it, up to 10.3 in round six, down to... Uh, nine, sorry, 9.8 in round five. Yeah, 9.5 uh, this week, which is, you know, at almost all-time lows in terms of we know tackles have gone through the roof in the last probably 10, 15 years of footy. Um, and, yeah, so now it's it's almost one in every 10 tackles is being applied uh, holding the ball uh, compared to one in 17, as I said, um, in round one. So going back to your point, mate, I feel, I feel for the umpires as well because this is just... Again, the, the rules were written, and yes, we've, we've had slight interpretations, but the hole in the ball rule, it's still similar to what it was in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. There was 30 tackles per game, uh, a lot of one-on-one 40, not as much congestion. Now there's 60, 70, 80 tackles per game, and they're trying to apply the same interpretation to a game that's just got three or four times as many tackles as it did when the rules were written. So I feel that's the biggest one. It's just there's so many of the same acts that, Again, as a, as a supporter watching on TV, you go, well, what's the difference between that tackle and the next tackle? Because the umpire's just got to make a split-second decision on mm-hmm. prior and is he attempting? And it, it is. It's getting very, very, very confusing. 
I mean, there was one on, on last night where poor old Jaron Geary, he's marked a ball that was called touched by an umpire that might have been 40 metres away. Um, and, and by the time he was wrapped up because, uh, you know, an Adelaide player heard it, maybe he heard it and he was playing it, but he didn't attempt, he didn't really attempt, but he was wrapped up so quickly and was then called for holding the footy and Adelaide gets a goal out of that. And you just, you just sort of think, where's the logic behind that? Um, yeah, I mean, look, tough, tough caper, Jake, but I mean, how do you fix it? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, we we can bang on about it, but what's the what's the solution? I, I guess the the problem is the prior opportunity. Prior opportunity, I think, is the main um, issue with the interpretation because that's where a lot of the grade comes from. Um, if we've seen and a player's have clearly had enough prior opportunity, I think everyone will agree that it should be holding the ball. But when it's that kind of that half a second and it just hasn't quite been enough, but sometimes it's paid, sometimes it isn't. That's where I think people get frustrated. I get frustrated with that. But to come back to the point where how do you fix it? I don't know how you fix it. Can you fix it? If you want to keep it, you know, if you want to keep it up to someone's opinion, how do you actually fix it? Well, I've got a question for you all then. What about something like team prior opportunity? If, if someone's had more than, you know, half a second and then handballs it to someone else and they have half a second and then handball it to someone else who then has half a second and gets tackled. Is that enough prior opportunity that you can almost pay it and say, well, your team had the chance to get rid of it. The problem with that is that you're going, it does. And and how far back do you go? You go five handballs back and say, well, they had 10 minutes ago, they had a chance to to get rid of it. I mean, in in the same chain, it would have to be in the same. I think it adds similar confusion. I mean, it's a, it's a big call to make, but that's what it goes back to. I mean, what other ball sport is it? The ball's in general play and something happens and then all of a sudden we're back to a neutral situation or well, the ball's still in the field of play. Usually, you know, soccer, it has to go out, you know. Even in rugby, um, someone gets to control, you know, the scrum and that. This is an umpire sort of saying, well, half the time I'm going to pay a free kick here, but half the time I'm just going to stop the game and we're just going to throw it up and give you both a chance again. Maybe the answer is no more ball ups. The, I mean, the, uh, the NFL... The NFL... ...is held into you, the other team gets free kick. Again, I'm not saying I would advocate for this, but that that seems to be the only solution is you can't have both. You can't have some tackles that are just like, all right, that's fair. Let's let's neutrally start the game again. And then some tackles that look exactly the same go, yeah, we're going to give the ball straight to the opposition here. So I think trying to interpret what the difference between holding the ball and a ball up is, is the first one for me. Incorrect disposal and dropping the ball, you know, that's another whole minefield. But yeah, for me, it's the one where the ball's held in, like the Geary one. It's Is it a ball up or is it a free kick? Maybe there's no such things as ball ups anymore. You know, I'd quite like seeing... Um, I'd quite like to see if, if you can... So we still have the prior opportunity rule as we know it, or uh, hope to know it. Um, but if you can tackle your opponent to the ground, then that's holding the ball, regardless of how much time they've had to get rid of it. It I would think be, that would... Yeah, it would be a dramatic way change. And I'm, I'm not going to advocate for that as well, but it would probably help ease congestion, which a lot of people say is one of the most difficult things or you know, one of the biggest blights in modern footy. Because if you're paying more holding the balls, then there's less pylons and less um, repeat stoppages. Hmm. So, and so, and most times, you know, someone will get the ball moving by handballing or, or kicking it quickly. So... Yeah, it's, it's probably an imperfect solution, which actually might have a good benefit. I did notice on the weekend as well, something to probably watch out for. I, later in the round, when we knew that the holding the ball was hot, the team that gets caught holding the ball, watch the third player come in and jump on top of those two, mm. just so it's harder for everyone to get up. And oh, I know we're going to give away a free kick here, 
but I can't get a 50 for tackling my own player. So I'm just going to lay on top of this. And it happened three or four times Sunday night and Monday night. And I thought, yeah, teams are going to start just slowing down free kicks now. Just yeah. oh, he's about to get paid holding the ball. Let's all just dive on top. So when they want a chance to get back. Well, why, well, why can't they? Why can't they? They say you know you're holding up play like it's because they're, it's they're jumping in before the whistle. It's that whole you know you've you know we don't get to go to the footy this year. You know the umpire gets in position to pay that free kick. Yeah. <laughs> they pop a squat. He's about to blow his <laughs> like whispering uh, death. <laughs> um, yes, well, I mean, look, we can we can argue this for a long time because again, everything we've sort of said, it's still going to be open to interpretation, and and that's the. I don't want to say unfortunate reality of our game, but it is part of our game. Like it these umpiring decisions are open to interpretation, and different umpires are going to have different interpretations. And if the AFL is changing the interpretation, then we're going to have these issues. But um, oh, look, you know, we can we can we can mull over it and, and come up with solutions. But I just don't think the AFL is going to do something so brash as as what Jake suggested. Even though it could work, who knows? Um, let's move on. Our favourite uh, topic: uh, justified hype or hyperbole. Where I'll say a few statements and uh, we'll whip around the room and guys you can tell me if that hype is justified or I'm talking in hyperbole Jake I'm going to throw this to you because you're probably his biggest fan outside of South Australia but Robbie Gray is Port's goat uh, that's justified we actually we wrote a piece about this last year probably this time last year actually um, after he won his 50th showdown medal or whatever it was <laughs> and, and just sort of said like this guy is and I hate saying, like, oh, if he played in Victoria, he'd get more credit. But the reality is he would. I mean, he's, he's, he's had a bit of a down year. I, you know, I know he kicked the goal off the side, but he hasn't had a great year by his standards. But if you look at what he's done throughout his career, it's incredible. It's as good as any player that's, that's playing, pretty much. Is he the most clutch player in the league? Hard to say, because last year we were saying it was Michael Walters. I mean, you don't get many chances to be clutch, but, yeah. you know... I, I think you said it before. If there's not many players, he's a he's a. I know he missed that one a few minutes before, but you back him in more times than you wouldn't to kick to kick a goal from anywhere inside fifty. Really. Any other nominations for for Port's goat, Neil? Oh, Warren Tread Treadray. Um, I've got a real soft spot for you know key forwards. I think they have the hardest job in in footy. Um, and I think Treadray. Um, he didn't have a great back end of his career when he struggled with injuries, but you know at his best he was right up there with. That next year down from Wayne Carey is, you know, mm-hmm. he was right up there with Jonathan Brown and, and Matthew Pavlich and Nick Rewalt. So Premiership um, captain too. Yeah, so he, he would be in the in the mix and, and the Corns brothers as well, as much as they're a little <laughs> bit maligned with their outspoken comments. I mean, they were great players. Um, they were real real champions for that club. So Christian? I've got a few, but Robbie's Robbie's probably edging up right on, on me at the very top. <laughs> Christian, any uh, any yeah, other thoughts? Um, with Neil, I've loved. I've got to watch Robbie Gray as a junior as well, and loved the way he came through. Um, and he's been the same player ever since. So balanced, but yeah, Warren Treadray still got to be the best at port. Oh. Neil, I'll I'll throw this to you. Um, the penny has finally <laughs> dropped for Christian Petrarca. Who's that directed to, Matt? That's directed to you. Yeah, I thought you might might have directed that towards me. Uh, it depends what your definition of penny's dropped, but I mean, no, don't sit on the fence. Yeah. Well, yes, is, is the short yeah. answer, is, is my answer. Um, the fact that he's, you know, I think last year he was rated elite as a general forward. Um, he, he actually was maligned, but he had a great year. Uh, I know Melbourne were hor- uh, horrific last year. This year he's had a huge off-season. He's got fit enough to actually play much more midfield and he just looks at home there. His power 
you know, I hate the comparisons with, you know, Dangerfield or Dusty because they've done it for 10, 12 years. Petraka's done it for about, you know, a month. But he does have those elements. And, yeah, if he can continue that, then, you know, Melbourne's got a massive weapon on their hands. Christian, you might know a bit more about the stats than, than we do. I mean, how is he tracking compared to previous previous years? Yeah, I mean, we, t- we touched on him last week and it, it is exactly that. It's, I don't know if the pennies dropped for him, but it was that midfield midfield time. He, he's always been a good footballer. Um, but yeah, to be able to play 75% in the midfield like he is instead of 20%, it's, it's done wonders for him. So yeah, you'd have to wonder, has, has the penny dropped for him or has the coach just got more faith in him? Or is it, you know, I think the fitness, he has spoken about his fitness base got bigger. Uh, but yes, but midfield time does wonders for, for players. Jake? Yeah, not much more to add. Uh, he looked really good. He's looked really, really good and reminding me a lot of, does things that remind me of Patrick Cripps, does things that remind me of Nat Fife and, and Dustin Martin. And I mean, if you can do things consistently like those three guys, you, you're a pretty decent player. I think I agree. The I mean, challenge will be if he gets tagged. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, Neil, you, you hit it on the head, I think. He, you know, maybe in previous years, a couple of years back, you might see one of those sort of games once every month, but he's sort of been doing it pretty consistently for the last sort of five weeks, which is um, a really big step up for him. And maybe, maybe the penny has dropped. Maybe that hype is justified. Uh, we will move on, Jake. Adelaide won't win a game this season. Is that hype justified or is that hyperbole? Well, shortened season. Shortened season. I'm going to say I'm going to say it's justified. I don't, who are they beating? There's no other team that's really that poor. I don't. I don't think. I mean, I know that they they might be able to snag one here. They'll probably just play a really good game at some point because um, it is hard to go a whole season and not win one. But if I was having to put money on it, I'd say no. I can't see them winning again. The the comp's too even. There's no way a team can go winless through a season. They'll they'll snatch one. Um, you know, even last night against the Kilda, they were they were within. You know, they they weren't that far off deep in the last quarter. So I reckon they'll they'll win one or two surely. I mean, the way North's tracking, I don't think they're going to beat. They could beat North. I mean, they. to be fair, they dominated maybe two quarters of last night's match against uh, St Kilda and just couldn't convert on the scoreboard. So, you know, if they can convert those maybe three chances that they had in the, in the third uh, that they really should have, they might have come away with a win over, over the Saints. So the, the team's going to have a bad day against them. They're going to have a good day. And I know it's a shortened year, Jake, but surely they win Isn't one, it two. remarkable, though, like whether they win zero, one, two, or three, like... Isn't it remarkable that we're actually even talking about this from two or three years ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, crazy. Uh, Christian, I mean, you're the stats man. Surely they win a game. Yeah. I, again, this goes back to my original big call last year on podcast one or whatever it was, that Gold Coast would win a game. Everyone, everyone wins a game of football at some <laughs> stage or another. No matter what the numbers say, they'll, they'll win a game. But I definitely agree with you, Matt. One of the things with Adelaide we kept saying is with a new coach and their first six weeks was just... The numbers were so bad, it was hard to say, what are they doing different? What are they trying to do? They just couldn't get the ball. They were 18th in so many numbers. It was hard to get a pattern or signature out of them. Last night, whether it was just being at home, but yeah, for a half or, you know, for two and a half quarters even, it looked like you could start to see them sort of control the ball, show their sort of ball ball, uh, movement patterns and things like that. So, um, yeah, hopefully getting back home and a bit of continuity helps them out. But yes, they'll win again. And last question, Jake. Uh, Look, the Blues, they lost with the very last kick of the game to the, the team on top of the ladder. Uh, are they finally out of the wilderness? No, they're not. So, hyperbole. <laughs> um, well, what's out of the wilderness? Like, 
you know, they're off the bottom of the table. So <laughs> that's kind of out of the world. I don't think so. I want to see it a bit more consistently. Um, they're, pl- they're playing well, but if, again, you only have to go back three or four weeks ago and we were saying, man, they just, some of the starts were horrific. So I want to see it a little bit longer, kind of like what we're saying, you know, it's, um, with other teams. I, I want to see Carlton do it a bit longer before I'm prepared to say that um, they're a team that can sort of challenge for the top eight next Christian, year. Christian, I mean, the, the, the stats pointing at them finally playing a game plan that, that suits them and, and can stand up against good opposition like we saw on the weekend? Yeah, so I don't know whether this is justified hype or hyperbole, but it definitely are because it started it started late last year. Um, so yes, they're definitely out of the wilderness now. They're, you're right; they're not getting blown out um, of games across four quarters. Yes, they've had bad patches. Um, you know, young team still sort of trying to come together. But as I said, if you look at their profile from you know round 15, 16, 17 last year, it is a comfortable sixth to tenth place team. So. Again, put my supporters hat back on. We're definitely out of the wilderness because we were... You, know, you just hope for a good effort, one every four, three or four matches. You just hope that maybe we're in it. Now, at least, yeah, you can see each quarter. Um, you know, it might not be four quarters, but every single quarter, every single game we've had a quarter where we've looked pretty dominant and pretty good where we can match it with the best. So, yeah, definitely out of the wilderness. From- I, I agree. I don't... Um, I, I give a lot of thought to what my stomach tells me uh, and I don't get that sort of sick feeling when I watch the Blues anymore, which is uh, always nice. Uh, yeah, I think well, you're right that, that they can arrest momentum swings pretty quickly. I mean, you saw Port kick the first three on the weekend and you're thinking, oh, shite, here we go again. Uh, but then they kick the next, uh, the next four and, and can turn it around within a quarter, which is something that Teague struggled to do last year. It might take them until after quarter time to make an adjustment. But now they're making adjustments on the fly. And the game style suits the, the personnel on the park. Uh, and I, I think they can take it up to most sides. So I, I'm sort of expecting them to try and finish between maybe 7th and 12th this year and, and, and not much lower. So I think they're, they're out of the wilderness, Neil. Yeah, as the only impartial one here, I think my voice <laughs> carries a bit more a bit more weight in this conversation. Um, but I really, like, I really, really like what I've seen from Carlton this year. And I think the, the most impressive thing, or one of the most impressive elements is the fact that they're playing such good footy. And Patrick Cripps is probably only going in third gear. Previously, you know, you'd need Cripps to dominate to... to to possibly win or even get close to another team. But he's probably only been going, you know, probably a six out of 10 season for him. And the Blues are looking fantastic. So I love the even spreaded contributors. I love the fact that you've got some really, you know, match winning forwards. Um, you've got Jack Martin for free. So yeah. I, I think they're out of the wilderness and I think that they can play finals. Well, look at the remaining fixtures, just touching on them for a little bit longer. But they haven't played uh, North, Sydney, the Suns. They haven't played Adelaide. They haven't played... Fremantle, like they haven't played a lot of sides that are below them on the ladder and comfortably below them. Uh, so, you know, you, you almost expect that if they've got three wins now and they can win another six, nine wins might even do it. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what the Blues can do in the next few weeks. Uh, anything else before we start to wrap it up, guys? Uh, anything else we sort of want to mention on the podcast? Well, one thing I've just noticed this morning, looking forward, um, GWS Richmond this week, um, obviously the grand final rematch there, and we think back to the grand final and how one-sided it was. Isn't it incredible that the Giants are going to be favourite to win this game? <laughs> Look at Richmond's incredible. Personality. I worked on Richmond last week and it was... I'm like, didn't I call this team in the VFL when I did their finals last year? It was... Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but and uh, that's, that's 2020, I guess. And the Suns the get their actually... first primetime game on Thursday night too. Yeah, which is... Great to see, and they deserve it. But yeah, you're right, Jake. They're probably um, slipped under the radar. We haven't even mentioned the Giants in this whole podcast, but 
Well, they, I don't know if it's more a giant story or a Richmond story, but yeah, they're both. both. Um, it's very interesting. Mm. The Giants still have so much of that talent on the park, and they just look like they're just. They're not playing anywhere near as good a football as, as they should be. Um, you know, they've got a, a list that's probably probably the envy of all other seventeen clubs. So a lot of pressure on them to you know to to get back on their feet. For sure. Uh, well, let's wrap it up, guys. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it there for this week. Speaking of this week's fixtures, make sure you do get your tips in on the Footy Tips app. Uh, there are a few tough games uh, starting on Thursday night with the Suns and the Dogs. So so make sure you get those in before before then. And we will speak to you in the next podcast. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.